The comments, conclusions, findings, and opinions expressed by contributors of this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of the Department of Defense or the United States government. The use of trade names or commercial entities is for identification only and does not imply endorsement by the Department of Defense or the United States government. the Tactical Combat Casualty Care Podcast. This is Monty from the Joint Trauma System and the Committee on TC3. On this edition, we will cover some of the activities of the Committee on TC3 at its recent meeting. Conducted from 31 January to 1st of February 2017 in San Antonio with about 105 participants over the two days. Attendees included voting members of the COTSE as well as the TC3 subject matter expert panel. Also in attendance were liaisons representing the military services, major commands, military medical training institutions, uh, several combat development directors from the services, and uh, several combat units across, uh, across the DOD. We also had several representatives from multiple U.S. government agencies, as well as international partners. Each day of the meeting started with combat medic vignettes. Uh, the vignette presentations by the actual medics covered the overall mission specifics, combat casualties and injuries they encountered, and then how they managed those casualties and the situation in general. Uh, the vignettes end with lessons learned or recommendations by those medics, and, uh, and then the committee can take those for, for action. Combat medic presentation number one was Senior Master Sergeant Ivan Ruiz, a pararescueman or PJ from the Air Force, presented a TC3 scenario from Afghanistan from about a year ago. He was a member of a special forces team operating with Afghan commandos. Uh, during entry onto a target compound, two U.S. service members and three Afghan personnel were wounded. After a 10 to 15 minutes of uh, firefight, he and his teammates suppressed the enemy fire enough to allow a grab and go of the casualties uh, to a more secure position. Once at that ta- at a tactical field care location, he was able to further assess and treat the casualties. The casualties were triaged and treated. Patient number one was an immediate U.S. casualty with a gunshot wound to the right tib fib above the ankle and a gunshot wound entry to the upper left back with an exit wound just left of the middle spine. Two tourniquets were applied to the lower right extremity, bleeding control. The back wounds were packed with Curlex and sealed with occlusive dressings. The patient received 50 milligrams of ketamine IM and a fentanyl lozenge. The patient received a slow push of uh, TXA and a 500cc Hexten fluid challenge, and a SAM splint was applied to the right leg fracture. Patient number two was a delayed U.S. casualty with through-and-through gunshot wound to the left thigh. Uh, initial bleeding was controlled by tourniquet application, which was later converted to a pressure dressing. Patient number three was a delayed Afghan casualty with shrapnel wounds to the right forearm, which were cleaned and dressed and administered uh, 500 milligrams of uh, rocephin antibiotic. Patient number four was a delayed Afghan casualty with a through-and-through gunshot wound to the front of his left thigh. The wound was cleaned and dressed, and he was administering antibiotics. Patient number five was a delayed Afghan casualty with shrapnel wounds to the right foot and debris to both eyes. Eyes were flushed and covered with eye shields and shrapnel wounds dressed. He was administered a combat wounds medication pack. The immediate patient was medevaced, and the delayed patients extracted with the team. Combat medic presentation number two was by First Sergeant Matthew Harmon. Uh, he's a flight paramedic with a medevac unit uh, from the National Guard. He presented a TACVAC scenario of an in-flight cardiac arrest uh, in Afghanistan. He was a flight medic responding to a nine-line medevac request that identified one Cat A casualty that was a lower uh, extremity amputation and one Cat B casualty. Uh, the mission launched nine minutes after the request was received. Prior to arrival at the transfer point, the Cat B casualty had been reclassified as a Cat A. And then on short final, he noted one of the two litter-borne casualties had CPR underway. Upon landing, a litter team approached the aircraft with a compression-only CPR in progress. 
The battle handoff with the ground corpsman was simply he stopped breathing, and uh, there was no other interaction. Uh, the casualty TC3 card showed a below-knee amputation of the lower left extremity, a mangled right lower extremity, four cat tourniquets applied, and five pressure dressings, no medications, no other interventions. He was pulseless and apneic. His right lower extremity was rotated 90 degrees from anatomic position. His right upper extremity was splinted over pressure dressings. First Sergeant Harmon took the casualty aboard his medevac lead helicopter, where he was assisted by the crew chief and another EMT paramedic. Casualty's initial diagnosis was cardiac arrest, presumed secondary to exsanguination. The second casualty had minor fragment wounds to both lower extremities. He was loaded onto the medevac chase helicopter, where he was attended by an EMT paramedic and another EMT. Uh, the helicopter spent only about three minutes on scene and then departed for the roll three, which was eight minutes away. The crew chief and first Arn Harmon's helicopter performed CPR during the flight. In route treatment included vampire one to one transfusion, a humeral head easy IO infusion, uh, epinephrine administration, an intubation that took two attempts, and then a repeated defibrillation. Upon landing, the casualty was in a systole. He was taken directly to the OR, where he received a massive transfusion, after which he converted into spontaneous circulation. He survived for about three days and then succumbed to complications in general. So some of the overall lessons learned, uh, equipment to consider during TACOVAC or MEDEVAC, uh, glide scope for intubation uh, works well on TACOVAC platforms. Uh, Entitled CO2 after intubation is very useful, especially when shorthanded or being assisted by non-medical personnel. Uh, the Turkle device uh, gives a red-green visual indication when a needle is in place uh, and used for a needle decompression after it's entered the pleural space. So this could be good and good to have in any kind of noisy environment uh, where you can't, can't be sure that the, uh, the releases uh, occurred. It's certainly a recommendation for more than one flight paramedic on TACOVAC platforms if possible. Blood product can be infused faster when injected by 60cc syringes rather than run by uh, simple gravity. So a few, uh, few lessons learned that need to get rectified and addressed here in the, in the near future. Also covered was a TC3 proposal for uh, including supraglottic airways uh, into the TC3 guidelines, specifically for tactical field care. Dr. Mel Otten recommends the iGel as the supraglottic airway of choice, or SGA of choice in TC3. In 2012, the Defense Health Board and TC3 recommended using SGAs in TACOVAC. Casualties are unconscious from hemorrhagic shock or severe TBI but who have not suffered direct airway trauma are likely to be the best candidates for SGAs. At the time, the DHB recommendation and the TC3 guidelines did not specify any uh, particular uh, SGA device, so interoperability would be enhanced if all medics had one, uh, one device to, to train on. The iGel in particular is associated with a very low rate of dis dislodgement and is easy to position correctly. It also has uh, ability to have a gastric tube port, oxygen port, uh, provides easy access for fiber optic intubation uh, at later stages. It is associated with uh, very little aspiration. It is popular with anesthesiologists. Very widely used in European ambulance services. It has a, uh, a gel-filled cuff and not a balloon. Can be inserted with a patient in a prone position. It is easily trained. Uh, costs about half of what other SGAs cost. Has a three-year shelf life. Uh, can be tolerated by conscious casualties after ketamine administration and comes in much smaller packaging than other SGAs. So the SGA proposal that Dr. Otten recommends, the committee on TC3 specify the iGel as the SGA of choice in TACOVAC and potentially in tactical field care as well, uh, if the committee uh, recommends uh, use of SGAs in that phase. This proposal is shifted to an airway working group that will evaluate all evidence and make a final proposal for changes to the TC3 guidelines in the near future. Also covered was the recent comprehensive review and the mega change update of the TC3 guidelines. 
not going to cover that in this podcast because that was covered in two separate podcasts uh, previous to this, which you can download and listen to. Another change proposal to, to the guidelines that's uh, potentially in the works is needle decompression uh, involving with the uh, tension pneumothorax. Uh, Dr. Butler reviewed the evolution of the needle decompression recommendation in the guidelines as they've, as they've progressed through, uh, through history over the last two decades of the, the needle decompression that was in the original guidelines. A later move to uh, include longer needles recommended, uh, using the nipple line as a landmark, uh, establishing the alternate site of the fourth and fifth intercostal space at anterior axillary line, and then including bilateral needle needle decompressions for casualties with torso trauma and no other vital signs uh, in the in the CPR paragraph of the guidelines. So potential revisions to the needle decompression and respiration of TC3 is uh, looking at investigating better techniques to include finger thoracostomies, a varies needle. Uh, the 10 French IV catheter use, which uh, which was recommended before, but had some difficulty in logistics. Uh, Thoraquick device, uh, the 10 French Vigon thoracic trocar. Uh, the Donaldson needle, laparoscopic trocar. A uh, few other uh, techniques out there that, that might be looked at. Uh, definitely require anatomical demonstration of the site chosen for NDC and the training. Specifically look at when to critical decision kind of videos. Uh, to, to better enhance when to use the different procedures uh, based off the off the casualty scenarios and specifying the correct angulation of the of any needle decompression devices that we use and specifying the best positioning of casualty for the procedure and then recommending a sequence to follow when uh, needle decompression is not successful. So this proposal is shifted to a respiration and chest injury working group within the COTSI that will evaluate all the evidence and make a final proposal for change to the TC3 guidelines in the near future. Another presentation was about the squad overmap, which is an Army project integrating TC3 as a learning enabler for training tactical leaders. This presentation was by Colonel Dan Irizarry from Army PUSRI. So a squad overmatch uses integrated curricula, that's a classroom, virtual, and live uh, methodologies to develop squad performance that's, that's good enough to overcome the chaos and confusion expected in operational environments. Squad overmatch training in TC3 addresses five overall domains, the team development, resilience and performance improvement, advanced situation awareness, the TC3 procedures themselves, and an integrated after-action reporting. So Squad Overmatch TC3 Train the Trainer is an interactive web-based program. Uh, once a soldier is qualified as a TC3 instructor, in this course, he can then operate the, uh, the Squad Overmatch TC3X, or exportable training system. Uh, TC3X is an equipment set with everything needed to train 30 soldiers. Ultimately, a Squad Overmatch TC3 will evolve into a comprehensive uh, standard training pl platform. Squad Overmatch in the future will be integrated into various leader training pl uh, platforms and courses uh, throughout the Army. We were presented a ketamine usage case report. Uh, this was in the civilian environment through the Mayo Clinic system, but also in, in EMS evacuation uh, uh, style operations. So Dr. Scott Zitlow, presented a case report of a patient whose arm was captured and mangled in an industrial auger. Uh, the pre-hospital treatment included cat tourniquet, two IVs, thawed plasma, whole blood, and amputation in the field. Pain was managed with ketamine. Uh, the pre-hospital ketamine is gaining a lot of popularity nationwide. It, it is used about twice a week now in the Mayo system. Uh, Dr. Zitlow reviewed the Mayo's uh, protocol, including indications, contraindications, dosages, education, training, and oversight. He's reviewing their observed 5% incidence of decreased respiratory rate which they believe may be a result of administering ketamine too quickly via the IV push. A lot more to look at with ketamine as, as we integrate it into the, uh, the DOD protocols, and it's becoming far more common usage in, in civilian practices as well.
Other potential TC3 change projects in the near future include a review of uh, head injury management. This will include a review and inclusion of the DIVVIC recommendations uh, that, are, that have uh, come out in 2008 and 2012 and consolidate current head injury text notations all into one paragraph uh, that are uh, now spread out through, throughout the guidelines. We're also looking at a review of fluid resuscitation, which uh, may can include a consideration of a normal intensive fluid resuscitation for patients with controlled bleeding. Uh, this is especially uh, being looked at for the prolonged field care uh, situations. We're going to relook all of the uh, TXA or tranexamic acid uh, guidelines considerations uh, for dosages, second dosages, everything in included there. Also looking at including an advanced field care phase uh, for consideration, inclusion of advanced procedures at FOB aid station setting uh, by advanced providers or forward medical teams. This shouldn't be confused with prolonged field care or role two care, but uh, more of advanced procedures that can be done at, a, at the TC3 level. And then finally, a tactical leader's guideline. So we have uh, guidelines for the medical providers. We have guidelines for all combatants and combat lifesavers. This would be something that's focused set of guidelines outlining the roles and tasks of tactical leaders in planning, training, and managing casualty response situations um, to, to better clarify that uh, casualty situations and casualty response is an overall unit problem. It's not just simply a medical problem, but it involves leaders, troops, and the medical personnel in the, in the mission task force in general. Remember that you can always find the latest TC3 information, knowledge tools, and current guidelines at kotc.com. That's www.cotcc.com. Feel free to provide feedback, ask questions, prompt discussions, or make TC3 suggestions on the feedback form of the Katsi website. Keep in mind the changes to the TC3 guidelines are also published in detail in the Journal of Special Operations Medicine. So this concludes this edition of the TC3 podcast. Please return for our next edition by subscribing through your podcast app or check back on the website. Our target is eliminating preventable combat death, which can be achieved with the right training and the right tools applied by the right people at the right time. As always, stay safe out there and continue saving lives on the battlefield, wherever that battlefield or deployed setting or street is in the world for you.